Okay, today we finish our series on the Pentateuch, which has turned out to be our longest, our longest series on record. And to celebrate its completion, we will be enjoying lunch together after the service. And um, I won't make you wait. This will be a little shorter than usual, but um, not super short, but a little short. So our task today is to take the principles we have learned about applying and understanding Old Testament laws to uh, this passage we've been talking about in Leviticus 19.28 that forbids the ancient Israelites from marking their bodies with tattoos. Uh, does this law still apply? Apply to Christians under the new covenant? Why or why not? And if so, how? Uh, in other words, would it need to be recontextualized? Hopefully you're familiar with that word as we've been using it. And lots of Christians have tattoos, and so how should we think about this? It's a it's a popular question these days, as evidenced by this favorite cartoon, which I think I've showed before. <laughs> so, um, by the way, this is like, um, I will still be doing sermons here, but this is my last ambitious sermon. I'm going to be taking on far easier subjects than this one after today. All right, so last week, um, we is there a blank slide after this? No, all right. Guess we'll just have to watch the cartoon for a while. So, like last week, we wrestled with the command to keep the um, Sabbath day holy. This subject about tattoos should also prove to be a good exercise for us. But before we dive into it, we need to have some visual aids, right? Proverbs point Proverbs thirty points out that fire is never satisfied. It never wants to stop. It, it it just won't stop on its own. And if allowed, it will just go on and on, consuming everything in its path. Um, it never says enough. And I am tempted, tempted to argue that the desire for tattoos can often work the same way, at least for some people. Yep. And so something like this becomes this, right? And this becomes this, right? It's sort of like an addiction to drugs, um, here are some other pictures of those who didn't know when to stop. They just never seemed to ever get enough. This guy, this guy. Yeah. <laughs> and we have this guy. And this is really weird. <laughs> And this, notice the split tongue, and the split tongue here, and this is disturbing on many levels. <laughs> and then we have religious tattoos, um, this is... Um, because um, not everything is about glorifying death, demons, and the forces of darkness. So we have these actually are pretty good artwork here. And um, on the arms. And then this is kind of interesting because I don't know if you can read it, but the reference is to 1 Corinthians 6.19. And the irony here is that the verse is about your body being a temple of the Holy Spirit and that you're to honor God with your body. I thought, thought that was interesting. And um, this is how it all gets started. <laughs> That's how it all gets started. 
with a small, discreet tattoo of a Christian symbol on the arm of a five-year-old boy, and we can only conclude that his parents, whoever they might be, are permissive and negligent and worldly. And um, so this is Winston today and Winston 15 years from now. <laughs> so a couple uh, personal thoughts. If I were to get a tattoo, and I might someday, it would be something along this line, okay? <laughs> Very small and out of the way. Small because I have a great fear of needles, and out of the way because I wouldn't want to draw a lot of attention to it. And the only reason I would ever get a tattoo is because I've never been cool, I've always wanted to be cool, and someone told me that if I got a tattoo, I would be cool. And um, although I've used that advice on other things that never worked out that well. But <laughs> so a tiny one on the foot. So Wendell today and Wendell 10 years from now. <laughs> or more likely, if I don't keep up my bicycling, it'll I'll look more like this. So <laughs> with all, you know, all the tattoos. Yep. Okay. So... Here's that passage in Leviticus 19, and it's, uh, it's the only place in the Bible where tattoos are even mentioned. You are not to make gashes on your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourselves. I am the Lord. Now, if this command or something like it is repeated in the New Testament, then as we know, that would settle the question. We wouldn't need, a, we wouldn't need to talk about it any further. Whether we understood the reason for it or not, we would be conscious bound to obey it as one of the terms or conditions of the New Covenant. But it isn't mentioned in the New Testament. And it doesn't appear to belong to any category of prohibitions either. For instance, um, we have all sorts of disturbing sexual perversions in Leviticus 20 that are explicitly condemned. And even though they are not specifically mentioned in the New Testament, we can safely conclude that they are nonetheless forbidden under the heading of sexual immorality, which is mentioned often. But it doesn't appear, it doesn't seem that tattoos fit under some larger heading like that. It's possible that the New Testament or exhortations to recognize your body as something that belongs to God might apply to this question of tattoos, but that's about as close as it gets. In addition to this, since most of the commands of the New Testament deal with how we are to treat others, well, we'd have to acknowledge that really no harm comes to anyone else if you get a tattoo. However, before we just flippantly dismiss the command as irrelevant and obsolete for us, we should do our due diligence and see if there are some principles behind it that might still apply, some moral law that is reflected in the command itself. And this has been one of those bigger principles, as you will remember, that we have stressed over and over in this series. Even if we conclude that the letter of the law is no longer binding, there might still be some application of the spirit of the law. And the key to getting a handle on any moral principle behind a command is to determine the best we can the purpose for that law in the first place, whatever that law may have been. Sometimes the Bible will actually tell us the reason for it. Sometimes the reason will be obvious. Other times we kind of have to work at it, look at the context, do some research, figure out what the law, what kind of a law it is, and so on. And even then, there will be times when we'll be left with just speculations, leaving little to go on when it comes to any deeper principles that we might try to apply. Okay, we've talked about this. Does this all sound familiar so far? 
Right, so does the Bible give us a reason, state a reason for prohibiting tattoos? Well, no, nothing is said about it. Okay, so next question, what kind of a law is it? Maybe that will offer us some help. Is it a civil law? Well, no, has nothing to do with regulating how people are to get along with each other as a nation, and there are no penalties for violators and none of the other elements that we find in civil laws. Is it a ceremonial law? Well, it doesn't appear to be. If so, it's hard to see how that could be the case. Well, it must be a moral law then. Well, possibly, but not sure how this is the case either. Moral laws, as we noted, are essentially commands to imitate God's righteousness, and they are rooted in his unchanging character, and it's difficult to see how getting a tattoo would infringe on that. But, but maybe. So these popular categories don't seem to offer much help, at least at the moment. But we still have a couple useful tools left. Uh, the literary context of the command and the historical context in which it was given. So they might provide some insight on why God prohibited tattoos for the ancient Israelites. So let's start with the literary context. Uh, we'll read a few verses before it and a few verses after and see if we find anything helpful, if there's a train of thought or a common theme. You are not to eat anything with blood in it. You are not to practice divination or witchcraft. You are not to cut off the hair at the sides of your head or mar the edge of your beard. You are not to make gashes on your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourselves. I am the Lord. Do not debase your daughter by making her a prostitute or the land will be prostituted and filled with depravity. Keep my Sabbaths and revere my sanctuary. I am the Lord. So there doesn't really appear to be a common theme here. Uh, we simply have a variety of different commands being listed together one after another, and this would be actually the case for that whole chapter. The only reason God gives for these laws to be obeyed is, I am the Lord. And this takes us back actually to verse 1, where God tells his people to be holy because he is holy. Even as God is set apart from all the other deities, so they are to be set apart from their neighbors who serve those deities. And so this might be a clue. Part of what this being set apart might consist of could involve the, you know, the, 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 the not decorating of one's body with, with artwork, graphics and images and that sort of thing. Their pagan neighbors did this. And so the Hebrews were told that in this they were not to look like them. There are a number of laws like this intended to differentiate the Israelites from the other nations. We've talked about this. It's all part of setting them apart from the world so that they can be a witness to the world. The Hebrews worshiped differently, ate differently, treated each other differently, observed the rhythm of the week differently, and looked differently. And this seems to be um, at least part of the purpose for the prohibition in verse 27 regarding, or, yeah, regarding the trimming of one's hair or beard. So what about the historical context? <clears throat> Getting ahead of myself here. Well, that's okay. What do we know about tattoos in that region during that time period? Well, this might provide some insight as well. Um, we, we do know some things, but we don't know a lot. In regards to the ancient Egyptians, it looks like tattoos were a common thing for were not a common thing for men, but they were for women, or I should say for certain women namely prostitutes and others who wanted to advertise themselves as promiscuous and available. 
And so this might be something the Lord wanted his people to avoid as well, the association tattoos had with sexual immorality. And if you will remember, that was one of the commands that actually followed about not offering your daughter in this way. In other nearby cultures, men would often sport tattoos depicting mythological animals and cosmic beings and deities and so on, and tattoos were often used to publicize the religion of one's people or tribe. And we also know that kings would sometimes get tattoos that would honor certain deities, and this so that the deities would bless his nation and protect it. And so it appears that in the ancient world, tattoos were largely driven by either superstition or to honor some idol or as an endorsement of a false religion, or as an invitation to sexual immorality, you know, a number of different ungodly practices. And all the more reason then the Hebrews were commanded to avoid the practice. Now, what about this custom of making gashes in one's body for the dead? That was part of that same verse. What is that all about? And we're interested in this because it seems to be closely tied to this prohibition of tattoos, and one might help explain the other. Well, there was this practice quite common among the pagans where people would cut their bodies during times of intense mourning. And this was accompanied by shaving off one's hair and beard. Okay, So we can assume then that uh, these two verses are referring to that particular custom, verses 27 and 28. This was all part of some religious ritual, a, a propitiatory offering, if you will, to the deities who presided over death and the grave. Shaving the head and cutting the body was how one appealed to them. Please show favor to my loved one who is now under your domain. In fact, we know from elsewhere in the Old Testament that the Israelites had adopted this very practice themselves from time to time. It's unclear if the second part of verse 28 about tattoos is somehow connected to these rituals or not. If so, we could assume that the tattoos depicted images that either honored the domain of the departed or the deities who now presided over them. So this, all this background here is somewhat helpful. It gives us at least a sense of why God didn't want them to get tattoos. You know, if, if we lived in a culture where these sorts of things were still being practiced, were still common, then a case could be made that Christians should not get them either. But associating tattoos with superstition and rituals that honor false gods and promote idol worship just isn't an issue here in the West. Tattoos are basically seen as just decorations, except, of course, in gangs, um, like in the motorcycle gang Hell's Angels, you know, tattoos have a, a lot of significance among those sort, sorts of things. In fact, um, the women there get tattoos that say property of Hell's Angels, so it's more than just decoration. And in regards to this concern of not looking like the pagans adopting their practices and fashions, well, a case could be made that this actually works differently for the ancient Hebrews than it does for us, and we'll explore that a little bit more later. But concerning tattoos themselves, I would think that for us it would come down to the tattoo itself. You know, what will the artwork actually depict, and and what are you using it to? What you know, what are you using it to say? Um, so these people are obviously saying something, and it's not something in keeping with what a child of God would be saying. And on the other hand, these are pretty, you know, safe and harmless. And um, while we're on this one, is just downright disturbing. I, I don't know why someone would get a tattoo like that. It says something about the person who wears it, right? 
So we will come back to this in a little bit, but first let's consider another possible reason that God prohibited the Hebrews from getting tattoos. Number three, perhaps an additional reason <clears throat> was that it was a way of reminding them that they belonged to God and not to themselves. One scholar noted that this particular prohibition helped to maintain a certain sacredness of life and therefore a sacredness for the human body. Yahweh was not just the God they served and worshipped, but also the God who owned them. If this is the case, then getting a tattoo would, among the Hebrews, be interpreted as an act of independence from Yahweh. I belong to myself, not him. And this particular principle is, of course, repeated in the New Testament, where we are told that we have been bought with a price and that we belong to God, and that the members of our bodies are to be used to serve the righteous will of God. Anytime an Israelite was tempted to get a tattoo, he would be reminded of why it was forbidden. You know, it is not your body to do with as you please. So if this is the case, then this law would, at least to some extent, apply to the Christian. Perhaps he has the liberty to get a tattoo, but only after he has worked through certain questions, hard questions. You know, if my body belongs to God, then do I really have the right to make this permanent change to it? And we'll talk more about that in a little bit as well. So all of these three reasons here are plausible, perhaps even likely, but again, since the scriptures are silent on the purpose of this law, we can only speculate and we have to be careful how far we push any one of them. Um, so as of now, we, you know, at this point, we haven't really found anything concrete that would categorically prohibit a Christian from getting a tattoo. So the next step, part two, is to consider possible applications regarding the spirit of the law. With these purposes in mind here that you see, are there ways for Christians in the new covenant to honor any deeper principles that may be reflected in this law prohibiting tattoos? Well, maybe. I think there are a number of possibilities for that. Um, but again, none of them would enjoy the backing of thus saith the Lord. So these are going to be my observations. You might have different ones. You might disagree with the ones that I present. Um, but, you know, this is all part, I think, of help informing our own practice and conviction. And, um, but that practice and conviction, whatever it ends up being, can't be put forward as the right way and imposed on others if it doesn't enjoy the thus saith the Lord from Scripture. So, again, all this should remind us of our discussion last week regarding Sunday and the observance of the Sabbath. So let's give it a shot. One purpose, as we saw, was to make sure that the ancient Hebrews didn't adopt any customs or rituals that could associate them with the superstitions and religious practices of their pagan neighbors. The New Testament warnings about not having anything to do with the deeds of darkness and standing out as, God's, uh, as citizens of God's kingdom and ambassadors of Christ, all that, of course, should come to mind here. And lots of examples could be given of how this might apply to us. Christians would do well to avoid horoscopes and astrology and Ouija boards and tarot cards and fortune tellers and anything else that is typically associated with the occult or the powers of darkness, along with Eastern meditations and certain forms of yoga that involve spiritual exercises. Also, Christians will sometimes wear clothes or jewelry bearing symbols that are associated with the false religion or ancient paganism, Wiccan symbols, New Age symbols, and so on, not really knowing what they even stand for. So the motive may be innocent, but the displaying of them serves to endorse, even advertise, troublesome philosophies that are contradictory to Christ and his gospel. If 
The reason God prohibited tattoos was because he didn't want his people to associate with the religious practices of the pagans. Then that purpose, that deeper principle behind that law itself, still applies across the board to all sorts of things. And we get, you know, similar exhortations of that in the New Testament. Another likely purpose for the prohibition of tattoos is that God did not want his people, the Israelites, to look like their pagan neighbors. And this goes beyond association with idols and superstitions and religious rituals. When you saw an Israelite, you knew right away that the person was an Israelite. They were different. For the Christian, that has more to do with one's value system and lifestyle than looking drastically different than everyone else on the street. But nonetheless... That value system that guides our decisions should inform our practices regarding the way we present ourselves to others, as in what we look like and what we wear. Paul speaks to this in 1 Corinthians and in 1 Timothy, as does Peter in his first letter. In 1 Timothy, women are given the charge to dress modestly with decency and propriety, not gaudy and flashy. Peter basically says the same in his letter, to not make expensive clothes and jewelry the basis for one's beauty. Don't look like the promiscuous women of the world, or like those who overdo it with elaborate hairdos and makeup and expensive bling, calling attention to their vanity. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul charges men to look like men and women to look like women. So Christians would do well to consider their witness, the message they want to send when they choose what clothes they will wear and even how much they will wear, and how tight those clothes will be worn, and so on. And along that line, what about the slogans in our t-shirts, or the brand names we advertise on our hats and the backs of our jackets? Some things are innocent enough, but not everything. So we, you know, we just need to be careful about this desire that we all have to fit in, and this need we have to be approved by those in the world. But we are representatives of Christ. We belong to him. We are not autonomous beings. The freedoms we enjoy are freedoms that are to be used to honor him. If, and we don't really know, but if part of the purpose for this prohibition of tattoos was to keep the Israelites from imitating the pagans in the way they looked, then we, we would want to take that, 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 that principle to heart when it comes to all that is involved in our appearance. And in our culture, modesty, of course, is a big area on this. A third possible purpose behind the Leviticus 19.28 command is to remind the ancient Hebrews that they belonged to God, that they were his people, and therefore they couldn't do to their bodies whatever they pleased. And this law served as an object lesson for this. And that principle is something that is drawn upon in passages like Romans 6 and Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 6 and others. In those passages, Paul is addressing either a specific sin or sin in general, but he takes this larger principle and he applies it to those specific situations. You have been bought with a price. You belong to Christ. You don't have a right to use the members of your body to sin. But most likely that principle has a wider application, namely that we are to view ourselves as stewards of someone else's property. Does that mean that Christians can't get a tattoo? Well, I'm inclined to say that this was an object lesson intended for the ancient Hebrews that has served its purpose and it's no longer in effect. But at the same time, I'm inclined to say that if a believer was thinking about getting a tattoo, they should at least consider this in their decision making, given the fact that tattoos are permanent. 
one needs to think through that carefully and be sure that his or her conscience is at peace on the matter. And I would make the same argument on other things that Christians, that Christians do to their bodies, involving permanent changes that are not medically necessary. We have this assumption that we have autonomy over them and seldom give any thought to God's place in any of this. We just march ahead, oblivious to the fact that we belong to him and he owns us, owns every part of us. Again, we are stewards of someone else's property. That same underlying principle could be implied even wider to gluttony and obesity and adopting a sedentary lifestyle and not taking the medications your doctors have prescribed and not taking care of your teeth and not getting your colonoscopy and taking unnecessary risks that could result in injury and so much more, so much more. If we are stewards of someone else's property, then we need to take care of it. We need to protect it. And we're all guilty of this to some degree. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm slowly poisoning myself with Diet Mountain Dew and milk chocolate. So supposedly dark chocolate is healthy and will add 30 years to your life, and milk chocolate will take 30 years away from your life. But nonetheless, so do we have a right to kill our bodies, commit suicide? Do we have the right to alter our bodies to match the gender we prefer to be? Do we have the right to permanently alter our reproductive system? I mean, where is the line? I could just keep going through the list. Where do we draw the line there? So I would just encourage us, let us not be like the Gnostics who regarded the human body as spiritually irrelevant and inferior, separating it from the person, reducing it to just a mechanism that served the needs and desires of one's mind and emotions. I think this matter of ownership even has bearing on the subject of cremation. But that's way too emotional and explosive for me to venture into now. But I will someday. There's a lot about that that I'd like to say. The question, I think, comes down to the extent, the weight, or the degree that this truth, I belong to God and he owns me, bears on all sorts of decisions. And we will all probably land on different places on that spectrum. Some will conclude that if God cared about unnecessary and permanent changes that we might make to our bodies, that he would have spelled it out more clearly in Scripture. And I think that's a valid argument, and they will tend to be more lenient on this. Others will conclude that God expects us to recognize that this principle, that he owns us, applies across the board to everything, and that he doesn't need to list out all the examples. And that's a good argument, and these people will tend to be more restrictive. Others will fall somewhere in between. And this brings me really to the main point, and it was the same point that was pressed last Sunday. When we have a disputable issue, the things, you know, and things are not as clear as we would like from the scriptures, it then becomes a matter of personal conscience. But at the same time, we have to do our due diligence and inform our conscience. We have to work it out with, you know, the best we can, good arguments, good reasoning, and sound hermeneutics, and so on. Not be flippant about it. And this, of course, applies to the question of tattoos. You know, if, if you have resolved it in your own mind, whatever that is, then don't let others bully you into their conviction and practice. And likewise, you can't bully others into your conviction and practice. But we all have to remain open on this, teachable, willing to adjust, and perhaps even change our views in time. Finally, there is the matter of wisdom. <clears throat> if your conviction allows you to get a tattoo... Well, there might be reasons not to, at least during this particular season of your life. 
All things may be permissible, but not all things are profitable, to use the words of Paul. And a lot of this will depend on what the tattoo will look like and what it depicts and says and how big it will be and where it will be and so on. So as you know, a tattoo could affect employment. Any job where you are representing the company to the public might be hard to get if you have visible tattoos on your face and neck especially. This might seem unfair, but again, they are, they are hiring you to represent them, and they have the right to decide what that representation will look like. And this would be something that many churches and Christian organizations would be concerned about as well. Along this line, any short-term mission trip that you might be interested in could be affected. This was actually an issue when we took a team of our youth group kids down to Mexico many years ago. Uh, my sister, who lives there, she led the endeavor. She was very clear about this during our orientation on the first day. You know, the people we came down to serve and present the gospel to will shut us out if we are sporting tattoos. And this because in their culture, tattoos are associated with gangs and criminals, the very opposite of the image Christians want to portray. Now, fortunately, our youth group members were not all tattooed up. Um, we just had one person a who had a dragon on her arm. So here we are in Mexico in the middle of the summer, as hot as you can imagine, and she has to wear long sleeves the whole time. So obviously, if you do proceed in getting a tattoo, think very carefully about where you put it, how big it will be, and so on. And I don't think these folks here have thought about that. Um, you know, they're all making a statement, right? You know, would you want any of them to be your tax consultant or your financial advisor or your insurance agent or be one of the nurses at your next surgery or serve your table at Applebee's? I mean, you know, even this guy, would you want your kids to play with him? I mean, really. <laughs> so... Every tattoo is a message. It says something about the one who bears it. Will the graphic of the tattoo be appropriate? Will the location of it be distracting? Will the size of it be distracting? What limitations might result from getting it? Uh, will it in some way identify you with the ways of the world that would harm your witness? Is your spouse on board? If a minor living at home, are your parents agreeable? This principle that we belong to God, have you worked through that? And most important, why? What's driving this desire? But when it's all said and done, as stated earlier, there are good reasons to say that this passage in Leviticus 19, as stated, isn't binding on Christians. It doesn't appear that there's anything in the New Testament that would prohibit this practice either. And so I would argue that it does come down to a matter of personal conviction. So personally, um, personally my own struggle just to show my cards here on this question, is it comes down to how much autonomy a Christian actually has over his body. This is the thing I wrestle with. And I tend to give that argument some weight. Um, do I really have this right? It, it contributes to my thinking on everything from um, vasectomies to, creme to cremation to skydiving to tattoos and more. I don't have any hard convictions about these things, but I do have doubts about whether I, as a steward of someone else's property, have the right. And that's where I'm stuck. It's actually on Romans 14, 23. Not Leviticus 19, but Romans 14. There, Paul is addressing disputable matters like the privilege of eating certain foods. And he says this, Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. Very important. 
But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat, because their eating is not from faith. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. So unless I get this resolved in my own mind, you know, I probably won't end up looking like this after all. Uh, maybe the pot belly, but not the tattoos or the beard. <laughs> okay. All right. So was any of this helpful? Beard. Right. What? Beard. Beard. No, not. Um, we'll have the beard. <laughs> any questions? Too bad. We're out of time for questions. <laughs> so. Yeah, we got to get to the deli. Everybody wants to eat. Nobody's thinking about the sermon anyway. Everyone's thinking about the food. All right, so this officially concludes our series on the Pentateuch. Next week, the subject for the sermon will be entirely different, and the one giving it will be different as well. We will just reset, and all things will be new. All right? Josh Birch, I'll turn this over to you. All right. Well, um, thanks, Wendell, for the time you put into that. Um, as someone who has a tattoo and um, has plans to get another, this is an area I've done some thinking on, um, and I, w I would agree with really what Wendell said. Um, I think especially important um, is considering the verse in the context of the surrounding verses, and um, I would maybe throw verse 31 in there as well as something um, to consider, um, just in terms of what uh, what is uh, this passage addressing? And I, I would also echo uh, what Wendell said about, um, I think we do need to be asking and wrestling with the question of how much autonomy do we have over our bodies. But I think that is a, um, that question is largely separate from what this verse in Leviticus is addressing. Um, in fact, the other things that are addressed there, like um, trimming your hair or gashing your body, are in fact temporary changes. So there doesn't seem to be an indication that what's being addressed here um, is personal or permanent changes um, in the context of bodily autonomy. Um, but the, the good news is um, the series on the Pentateuch is now over, and all God's people said, and we're about to go eat. So um, we are going to close with these verses, or excuse me, these words from Numbers. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. You're dismissed. <laughs>